Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 30. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all that we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Please leave your Bibles open there, Kadeen. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we pray this morning as we sit in your presence, as we hear from your word, we pray that you would guide our hearts that you would quieten all the thoughts and worries about the coming week, about all of the things that are clouding our minds right now, that we might just sit here and hear what you have for us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would guide my words this morning, that you would not let me say anything you don't want me to say, that they would be your words and not mine. And we pray this in Jesus' name. How much do we value Jesus? We may not even realise it, but every day, every time we do just about anything, we are placing value judgments on all of the things around us. Every time we make a purchase, as simple as a loaf of bread, we go to that rack of, of bread and we look at all of the different loaves and we decide whether we're going to get a gourmet type of bread or the most generic one that they have. We put a value on what we are prepared to pay. We have to make decisions like, are we prepared to spend a little bit more money to get that nicer loaf? Or do we just want to get the cheapest one we can get? And it's not just things we buy. We are making value judgments about just about everything we do. And we do it automatically without even realising. Every time we decide to be a part of an activity or an event to do with church or the community, well, we're deciding that we're willing to give up our time and our energy to be a part of that thing. Every time we choose to do one thing over another, 
that we could have done or purchased or invested in, we are deciding that it is worth giving up things for because we consider it of greater value. And what today's passage is challenging each of us, including myself, is how much do we value Jesus? Now, it's really easy for us to to give a glib, quick answer to that question, isn't it? It's really easy to say, I value Jesus more than any other thing. But what do our actions say about how much we value Jesus? How we spend our time, how we spend our money, how much priority we place on going to church instead of doing other things how much priority we place on spending time in God's word and in Bible study with his people, how much time we are prepared to put aside to spend in fellowship with God's people. All these things are indicators of how much we value Jesus. Verses this morning that we're looking at are challenging each of us if we value Jesus, to put our money where our mouth is, literally, and value him more than our financial security, more than our comfort, and more than even our families. Very challenging verse that I'm sure you're all very familiar with. Matthew 6.21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or in other words, if Jesus is our greatest treasure, then we'll be prepared to give up our comfort, our time, our income or our wealth, give up our desire for all of those things that we would want for ourselves. If Jesus is the one we value most, we'd be prepared to take up our cross and follow him no matter what the cost Now, I'm not suggesting in any way that that's easy to do. Sacrificing things for Christ can be easy if it's something we don't care about. But laying down those things that we do cherish, those things that are hard to give up, is not an easy thing to do. But if we value Christ above all things, we will be prepared to take up our cross and follow him. How much do we value Jesus? As this morning's passage begins, Jesus has just been approached by a wealthy and influential leader amongst the Jewish people. This man was most likely a ruler of a synagogue, a very upright and moral man, somebody that the whole community would have looked up to and respected. And the question that this upright and moral, well-respected man brings to Jesus is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This was a really sincere question. He genuinely wanted to know how he could be saved. He wanted to know how he'd be able to enter the kingdom of God. And we know this because later on we'll read how sad he was when he received the answer from Jesus. But before Jesus gave him this answer, he challenged him about how he'd addressed Jesus. Jesus says, 
No one is good but God alone. The way this man had addressed Jesus as good teacher was an incredibly unusual way to address a rabbi. Even the most respected of rabbis were never called good because good was a title that was reserved for God and God alone. Romans 3.12 tells us there is no one who does good, not even one. The only one who is good is God. And this is an ongoing theme in the Old Testament as well. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a refuge in time of trouble. In Psalm 34.8, which we might be familiar with, taste and see the Lord is good. Over and over and over again, the Old Testament tells us that God is good and he alone is good. Now, we're not told in these verses what encouraged this man to use this title. It's a very unusual thing for him to have called Jesus good teacher. Regardless of why this man used this particular greeting, Jesus took the opportunity to explain who he is. Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. This man had spoken rightly. His words were true. But he did not understand the full implication of the words that he had just spoken. And so Jesus is saying to this man, think about what you are saying. You are standing in the presence of God. Look at what I'm doing. So after Jesus had challenged him in this way to see that he was standing in the presence of God in the flesh, Jesus begins to answer his question. Jesus went on to say, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honour your father and your mother. Jesus had just been given the perfect opportunity to speak about salvation through faith alone, through Christ alone, hadn't he? This was a dream opportunity, something that as Christians we would long to have, somebody coming up to us and saying, how can I be saved? And yet what Jesus does here is point this man back to the law. So what's going on here? What Jesus is doing is showing this man that he cannot fulfill the law, the law that he is relying on for his standing before Jesus and before God. The man answered Jesus and said, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Now, it's, it's hard to read those words without scoffing, I must admit. I want to say, yeah, sure, you've kept the, all of God's law since you were a boy. But I think this man genuinely believed that he had kept God's law. This guy was genuinely an upright, moral and respectable man. Someone whom a lot of people would have respected 
for his outward godliness. Someone whom a lot of people would have already assumed would enter the kingdom of God. Just as the point, just at the point when many in the crowd were probably looking around expecting to see Jesus give this guy a pat on the back, Jesus says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then come, follow me. When Jesus pointed this man back to God's law, this guy genuinely believed that he had obeyed God's law. He really did think that he had measured up to God's standard of holiness. And that's because he'd made God's law something that he was able to do. He considered God's standards really, really low, something achievable. And so Jesus is showing him that he cannot do what he thinks he can do. Jesus says, you still lack one thing. And as he says that, he points him back to the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus was pointing this man to the most obvious God that he had in his life, his wealth. And what was his reaction? Well, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. He didn't have to become sad. He could have just as easily been overjoyed at how simple it was to follow Jesus. But because he loved his wealth and his comfort more than Jesus, because he valued that more than following Jesus, he left that place sad. And I think his sadness shows how genuine he was as he asked this question. He genuinely wanted to know how to enter the kingdom of God. But he went away sad. And that's incredibly sad. I don't think he was trying to trick Jesus like other religious leaders had done. He was really genuinely laboring over that question. When Jesus challenged him to love God more than his money, more than his comfort, more than the life that he wanted to live for himself, he chose this life instead of the age to come. When Jesus looked at him, and the verse doesn't say it, but you can just imagine Jesus' face as he looked at him. He would have been, I'm sure he would have been, you know, utterly gutted. Said how hard it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This is a very vivid picture. We all know what a camel looks like and we all know what a needle looks like. It's completely impossible, utterly impossible to get a camel through the eye of a needle. And Jesus is talking about a literal camel and a literal needle. It doesn't matter how big you picture that needle, you will never get a camel through it, at least not in one piece. You may have heard another theory about 
a, a, a hole in the wall of Jerusalem or, or a door that was called the eye of a needle. And it was said that the camel had to hunch down to be able to get through this low door by crawling through. And the, the idea is that if this man only just got down on his knees, if he humbled himself before God, then he would be able to enter the kingdom of God. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. There's, there's actually no historical evidence that such a door ever existed. And that's certainly not what those who heard Jesus' words believed. Because we need to look at how they responded. When they heard what Jesus had said, they were astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Jesus is not saying that it was possible for this rich man to be saved as long as he humbled himself before God. Jesus is saying it is impossible for the rich man or for the poor, for that matter, to enter the kingdom of God unless God intervenes. We all have a natural tendency to make gods of things that are important to us in this life. My heart's not exempt of that either. It's hard to let go of our gods. It's hard to let go of our preferences. It's hard to let go of our desires for how we would love to live. But what, but what is impossible with men is possible with God. Romans 8 verses 7 and 8 says, The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. It cannot do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. That's not speaking about being able to humble ourselves and do it in our own strength. It is saying we cannot please God unless he intervenes. It is utterly impossible. No matter how hard we try and please God in our own strength. And the Apostle Peter clearly understood that Jesus was saying that this is impossible because look at how he reacts. He says, we have left all we had to follow you. In other words, we've given up everything, Jesus. We've left our home. We've left our livelihoods. We've left everything we wanted in this life for you. And now you're telling us it's impossible to enter your kingdom. And so Jesus replies, no one who has left home or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in, the, in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. What Jesus is saying is, while it is impossible for us to enter into God's kingdom in our own strength, those who through faith in Christ Jesus trust in his work completed on the cross for us will be saved as God intervenes. Because what is impossible with men is possible with God. 
The sacrifice that Jesus was asking this wealthy man to make, giving up all of his earthly possessions and going and following Jesus, that, even that, all of this vast wealth of this rich man, even him giving up his reputation, his lifestyle, all of that, it did not merit him anything towards entering the kingdom of God. It merely showed where his heart was. It showed that he would have been putting his money where his mouth is. Jesus was asking this man to value him more than any other thing in this life. Lord knows that we struggle daily with all of the different gods that we have in our lives, all of those golden cups, all those priorities that we have, all those things that distract our heart from Christ's glory. And so how does anyone inherit the kingdom of God? Jesus is saying by trusting in him, not only for the age to come, but also in this life, in the here and now, as they value him more than anything else. In these verses, we are being challenged to reflect on how much we value our relationship with King Jesus. This isn't just speaking about the love of money. Sure, that is a part of this, but the love of anything before God is what this is speaking about. It's an incredibly vivid picture of, of what valuing God above all other things it looks like in the book of Job. In Job, Job just got news that his sons and his daughters had been killed, all his livestock, all of his livelihood, and then most of his servants, only enough made it away to tell him what had happened. And Job, well, he prayed to the Lord, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. It's not easy to hold on to the things of this life loosely. I struggle with it too. It's much easier to get caught up in our comfortable lives because we are all really wealthy. It's easy to enjoy the blessings that God has given us and then lose sight of the one who has given us all of those blessings. And it's much easier to trust in a far-off kind of salvation when we don't let it affect our decisions in the here and now. In these verses, Jesus is encouraging those who would follow him to let go of anything in our lives that is preventing us from following Jesus. It doesn't make any difference if it's earthly wealth, earthly peace, earthly comfort, or whatever it is. 
Jesus is telling us to let go of whatever it is that is keeping us from entering. In these verses, Jesus is challenging us to lay down our lives and follow him and to live for him, valuing him above all other things. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand that these verses aren't telling us that we have to go and sell everything we have. But we are being called to hold those things loosely, to use everything we have, time, money, resources, everything we have for God's glory. These verses are warning us to hold those things loosely, to not allow them to become gods in our eyes or in our hearts. At the moment, to go into any kind of essential service, uh, particularly a grocery shop or something like that, we're required to wear a mask and to sign in with those QR codes to be able to enter. If you don't do those things, they will not let you enter. Now, I know that most of us aren't all that excited about wearing masks or signing in for that matter. But we do it because we value being able to enter more than we value our convenience and comfort. We are willing to let go of our preferences because we want to go in. And I'm just speaking about a grocery shop. This morning's passage is encouraging us to let go of our preferences, our comfort, our desire for our lives, because what we are giving them up for is of infinite, more, infinitely more value than all of those things. If we value our financial security, trusting in it more than we are following Jesus, our comfortable lives, our, our plans for the future, more than following Jesus, or if we value any other thing more than Jesus, we are being challenged to let go of whatever it is, to hold those things loosely so that we might enter, so that we might enter eternal life and hear King Jesus say the words, well done, good and faithful servant. How much do we value Jesus? It's a question that we should be running over in our mind throughout the coming week as we make decisions, as we reflect on how we prioritise our time and our money and our resources. Because as Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, wherever our heart is, there is our treasure also. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come before you recognising that each of us, every single one of us, has developed holding on to gods in our lives. Lord, we confess that we have sinned 
we have loved other things more than you. We have desired our comfort, our financial security, our time out, our hobbies, whatever it is, Lord, we have loved those things more than you. Lord, as we sit here in your presence this morning, Lord, we pray that you would show each of us what those things are. That you would encourage us to value Jesus more than any other thing. That you would convict us when we choose this world over the age to come. And Lord, we pray that you would not let any one of us, any one of us, Lord, hold on to anything in this life tighter then we hold on to the joy of entering into your kingdom. Lord, we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.